uh, continue in this series in the book of First Peter. First uh, Peter chapter two. Uh, we're going to read verses eleven through seventeen. Um, let me ask if you're able that you stand as we read God's word together. Hear God's word. Uh, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put, uh, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. The grass withers, Flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would teach us uh, and grow us. Not merely that we would walk out of here understanding more, uh, but that you would use it uh, to the honor and glory of Christ uh, and for our own uh, spiritual growth, our growth in grace. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, the term resident alien, uh, we all know what that, what that is, what it means. We hear it from time to time, um, maybe during election cycles or, or political conversations. Um, it's a, it's a, a technical IRS term. Uh, it actually means that you're a foreigner living here, uh, that you were born somewhere else, but that you're living here uh, in uh, the U.S. Um, and so, you know, if you have a green card or if you've lived here a certain number of days, weeks, months, um, over the last 12 months, then you are considered by the IRS a resident alien. Um, but there's something interesting about that word because that term, if you think about it, it describes them as foreigners first and foremost, They are, resident is being used more like an adjective. Alien is the noun. Resident is is sort of like an adjective describing how alien you are. You're a a foreigner first in the eyes of of the IRS. You're a resident alien. That that means you you really don't belong here, but you are here. Uh, And that's the the term, the way it describes um, these foreigners living in... Uh, the United States. And that's the reality of us as Christians in this world. In fact, Peter said as much. He's, he's writing this letter, verse 1 of chapter 1, to elect exiles, people who are foreigners, but who are foreigners in their own home country. And he's writing to Asians who are exiles, but they're still in Asia. And the reason for that is because they belong elsewhere. In fact, the the first sermon in the series. We, in, I, the title was A Letter to Resident Aliens. But in our passage this morning, Peter actually begins to turn that term around. 
he's talking not so much about resident aliens as alien residents. He, he twists the term. He looks at this concept of being foreigners but living here and he looks at them from a different direction. Not only are we resident aliens as Christians, but we are also alien residents. And Peter uh, begins to answer the question, how should we live in this world as long as we're here? And so we notice first in this passage that alien residents are aliens. You know, there's something about a foreigner. Um, by definition, foreigners weren't born here. I mean, the very definition of a foreigner, the very, very definition, the technical term of, of alien isn't E.T., it isn't phone home, it isn't Martian. It's you weren't born in this country. And that's the, the intent, the, the technical sort of definition. And, and Peter's writing to Asian Gentiles. Notice he even sort of warns them, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. But this church is predominantly converted Gentiles in modern day Turkey. They've come to faith in Christ. They've turned their backs on the polytheistic pagan religion of the world around them and have turned and embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how can he describe them as aliens, as strangers, as sojourners and exiles? And the reality is it's because of their birth. They're born elsewhere. But you, you say, well, hold on a second, Jeff. You just told me they're Asians. Yeah, I don't, I'm not talking about a birth that, that you can write on a birth certificate. And I've got a birth certificate. It says I was born, you know, May 3rd, 19th in... Um, Roper Hospital in Charleston, South Carolina. But that's just my physical birth. That's not the birth that Peter's talking about. That, that's not the, the foreign sojourner exile concept that Peter is talking about. See, as we as believers, we have a second birth certificate. We have two births. Yes, we have our physical birth. And you were born in, in whatever house or hospital or roadside backseat of a car, whatever happened in your case, your birth certificate says what it says. But then we have this second birth certificate because we're reborn. We're born anew. That's, that's, that's what Christ has come to do to, to give us new birth. It's the conversation He had with Nicodemus. For that matter, we sing about it at Christmas and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Christ was born to give them second birth. That birth is not of this world. That birth really is extraterrestrial. Again, not, not, not phone home, not Martian. It's literally from another world. It's, it literally is a birth that requires the third person of the Trinity inserting himself into your life into the physical realm and changing that which is is committed wholeheartedly to sin and and so that we might turn in faith to Christ so that we might receive faith and that faith even is a gift Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 
the second birth is actually otherworldly. And because we're born of another world, because we're born of another place, because we're born of that world, our citizenship is there. We belong there. And because we're born elsewhere, we don't belong here. And so Peter's writing to resident aliens who are aliens, who are foreigners. So how do we react? What's our, what's, what do we do? How do we act towards the world, this new world that we find ourselves living in? Okay, it's not new. We've, since we were physically born, we've been in this world. But since we've been reborn, it is kind of a new and different world to us. How do we act? How do we react to it? You know, there are certain segments of the church that Christian organizations, Christian entities who will... Uh, tell you we what we really need to do is 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 basically build a wall. We need to build a wall and separate ourselves from the world around us. We need to distance because the world out there is so bad that what we really need to do is get away from it as much as we possibly can. We need to retreat and get out of that world as much as we possibly can. And so we create our own little Christian commune and we build walls around it and, and anything we can just to distance ourselves from, um, from this horrible, wicked, evil world we live in. But you notice in verse 11, Peter does remind us to abstain from something, to keep away from something, to keep certain things at bay. But you maybe notice that it isn't the things out there. He doesn't say, therefore, as, as alien residents, you have to keep that world at bay. No, notice what he says. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. You need to build a wall to keep you from you. You need to keep you from the old self, the, the sinful passions, the sinful desires. The problem, Peter says, isn't just out there. It's actually in here. So we need to abstain as alien residents. We need to abstain from our sinful passions, the, the passions of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. That was that was Paul's term in Galatians 5. In fact, turn to Galatians 5 with me for just a second. And let me just show you how Paul gives us this list. And Peter's, uh, Peter's term is uh, passions of the flesh. Paul's term is deeds or works of the flesh in Galatians 5 verse 19. And, and just listen to this list. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before. You know, if you pay attention to that list, not everything is an outward action. Idolatry, impurity. I mean, these are things that are that are inside of ourselves. Jealousy, envy. These are all things that are 
in us. They're not simply things that are out there in the world around us. And so Peter reminds us, abstain from the passions of the flesh. What you really need to, to, to distance yourself from isn't the world or the culture, whatever that word means. You need to distance yourself from your own sinful passions. It's easy for us to blame culture. It's easy for us to point fingers at different groups of people around us. And we usually mean people that don't agree with me on this particular issue. And we, we lay the blame at their feet. You know, it's those crazy kids. It's, it's kids these days. You know, whatever, however we want to, to point the finger. And we say that's what's wrong with the world. Peter doesn't blame the world around him. He doesn't blame the culture. He warns us quite honestly that go ahead, you can move to Canada. You can move to Fiji if you want to. These sinful passions go with you. They follow you. They don't follow you. They go in you. They are part of the old sinful nature. And so you can, you can find the greener grass in some other place if you want. But you take and, and with you what will spoil that green grass. And the reality is, verse 11, that's actually part of what makes us strangers and aliens or sojourners and exiles. Uh, I, I, strangers and aliens stays in my head. I think that's the NIV. The ESV has this sojourners and exiles. Part of what makes us strangers, part of what makes us alien is that we do at least admit we're supposed to deny the sinful passions of the old sinful self. Because the world around you will tell you there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. The world around you will tell you, don't let anybody tell you anything about you is wrong. Don't let the world around you will tell you anything you do, whatever you want, it doesn't matter. It's right and it's good. And, and, and you, the problems out there, the problems with them and the problems not with you at all. So Peter warns us as alien residents to first and foremost abstain from the passions of the flesh. And that's part of what makes us aliens because we will stand out when we are not doing the things the world is doing. When we're telling our sinful nature no while everyone around us is saying what sinful nature? The truth is that sinful nature is dead set on destroying you. Wages war against your soul. It it is dead set on killing you. But our battle isn't just with the people around us. The battle isn't with the people around us. Notice verse 12. We're called to live honorable lives. Quiet, peaceable, honorable, godly lives before the watching world. Remember, these are Gentile believers. They're surrounded by Gentiles. The Gentiles are their people. Well, the Gentiles were their people before this second birth 
came along and, and gave them a new people. But in the face of their old people, Peter tells us, keep your conduct among them honorable. Live a quiet, peaceable, honorable life. There's always the chance that that draws the anger of the world around us. There's always the chance that that those Gentiles will then revile them as evildoers, will speak against them as evildoers. There's always the chance that when, when we abstain from sinful passions, it actually draws the anger of the people around us, of the world around us. There's a, R.C. Sproul tells a story. Uh, I forget which book it's in. Um, I'm, I'm inclined to say it's in Holiness of God. Um, but R.C. Sproul sort of recounts this story of a professional golfer who played a round of golf with Jack Nicklaus. No big deal. He, he was a pro golfer anyway. Um, former President Gerald Ford and Billy Graham. And after the round was over, another golfer uh, asked this pro, hey, what was it like pray, playing with President Ford and Billy Graham? The golfer lashed out in anger. Um, the, way, the way it's written, uh, the pro unleashed a torrent of cursing and in a disgusting manner said, I don't need Billy Graham stuffing religion down my throat. And he stormed off to go practice. But when the, when the golfer kind of asked him about it, is that bad, huh? The, the, the golfer that played the round with, with Billy Graham said, actually, he never said a word. Didn't even look at me funny. Didn't, no sideways glances. Never once did anything to stuff his religion down my throat. He merely lived, this is my translation, he merely played a peaceable, honorable round of golf, living the peaceable, honorable life. And it was so distasteful to this non-believing pro golfer that it made him angry and he stormed off, I don't need Billy Graham stuffing his religion down my throat. That may happen to us from time to time. People may storm off from you. I don't need you stuffing your Jesus down my throat. And you go, we were, we were eating a dinner. I don't, like, I don't know. I don't remember what I said. You can't come up with what you, you, you have. It's just because that may, verse 12, draw their ire. Or it may lead to their conversion. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Sometimes that honorable life leads to their conversion. And basically, Peter says, look, regardless of the outcome, whether we are hated or whether they are converted, we're called to live honorable lives in the sight of those around us for the honor and glory of Christ. Alien residents. As alien residents, we are alien. But as alien residents, we are also residents. Because notice how Peter 
turns to examine our lives in light of the human institutions that are over us, the governing authorities that are over us. God has put them there. We're called to be subject to them, verse 13 and 14. Emperor, king, governor, down to mayor, city council, none of that matters. God has put them in that place and we are to be subject to those governing authorities. Okay, we don't have emperors. We don't have kings and queens. We have elected officials. And it's become fashionable in uh, the last few years to announce to the world that um, that since your candidate didn't get elected, that the current president is not my president. It's become actually acceptable in, in many, especially Christian circles, to kind of go, well, he's not my president. Well, Peter says, actually, he is your president. And, and we even admitted, we, we confessed, affirmed our faith together and said, look, regardless of, even if they are of a different religion or none at all, that doesn't absolve us of our responsibilities to be subject to them. Regardless of political party, whoever is in office won the election and they are our president, our congresswoman, our councilman, our governor, whatever office they may hold. Besides, we can complain all we want to do. We, we mentioned this, I think, week one. Do you remember who the emperor is as Peter is writing this letter? Nero. He burned Christians for fun. He, of course, all the emperors claimed to be God or among the gods, but few were as adamant about it as Nero was. Few were as as self-worshipping as even Nero, and for that matter, by even sort of normal, generic human standards, he was just a bad ruler. And yet Peter writes, be subject even to the emperor. In fact, verse 17, honor the emperor. Jesus told us, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And we all feel that this time of year as tax season gets up into full swing. These are, these are Christians in Asia who are subjects of Nero and they don't get a pass on their obedience to the lawful authorities. There's no escape clause. You, you do remember the Santa Claus movies? The first Santa Claus movie, there's the Santa Claus. If you, you know, if something happens to Santa and you put on the suit, you become Santa. You become the guy. And, and then the second one was the Mrs. Claus that, that within the year you had to get married. And then the third Santa Claus movie was the escape clause. If you held your snow globe, each Santa had his own sort of snow globe. If you held your snow globe and said, I don't want to be Santa anymore, then it would undo it. You could get out of it. You could get out of the whole gig. If, if you got tired of being Santa, there was an escape clause. There's no escape clause. There's no way out. There's no, well, be subject to them if, if they're good at what they do. If they're good at their job. If they're bad at their job, then you don't have to anymore. 
or, or if they're racist or sexist or self-absorbed or if they refuse to limit abortions in any form or other, if they raise your taxes, you don't get to, there's no escape clause. Okay, now the caveat is, because anytime you bring up government, you've got to throw, the caveat is when they require, when lawful authorities require you to do that which is contrary to the greater authority, Jesus, God in his revealed will, then you have, your responsibility is to the greater authority. That's why Peter and John could look at the authorities and go, you can tell me not to preach in Jesus' name, but Jesus has told me to proclaim Jesus, and so I have to obey God, not men. Peter doesn't give us an out. He doesn't give us an escape clause. He tells us, be subject to every human, human institution. They are put there for, by God and for the purpose of punishing evil and encouraging good. We read in verse 14. Besides, if there's a land where we are all about our freedoms, you can't help but notice verse 16. Yes, as Christians, we're free. We're free from the penalty of sin that no longer hangs over our head because Christ has paid that penalty. Yes, we're being freed from the power of sin. That's sanctification. That's our growth in grace. Yes, we're freed from the law. We, we no longer see the law as the means by which we're going to be saved. We, we, we're saved by Christ. And so we're freed from the law as a means of our salvation. We're freed from man-made laws. You know, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls that do, those kinds of laws. And Peter tells us, you have freedoms, but use them as servants of God. We want our freedoms to free us from any and all responsibilities. Peter instead says, as freed people, you are slaves of Christ. As freed people, you are bound to loving other people and to loving those around you. We can't appeal to our freedoms to cover up our evil. Verse 16. We can't appeal to our freedoms and use those to mistreat other people or to disobey the government. Peter reminds us, yes, we may be aliens. We may be foreigners. We may be born of another world, but because we're born of another world and, and yet residents of this one, we are subject to those governing authorities in this world because... The God of that world, the God of all worlds, has set them in their office. We may be free, but we're bound by love for Christ and love for the lost and love for our neighbor. And that affects the way we live and the way we honor those God has placed over us. And in many ways, that too makes our alienness stand out. That makes our foreignness stand out. It is a reflection of our second birth, having been born of that world and not just of this one. You know, the Corinthians were the ones saying, all things are lawful for me. I can do what I want. 
And Paul wrote back, well, all things are lawful, but not everything's profitable. Not everything's useful. Not everything's good. And just because you might be able to do it, it doesn't mean that it honors God. And so we're called to live honorable lives among the watching world for the honor and glory of Christ. There's a chance that our, that our honorable lives, that our respect for authority, that, um, that living in peace uh, with others, that our honor for the emperor, that our fear of God, that, that, um, that our love for other people, uh, there's entirely a chance that, that those things will lead people to hate us. There's also the chance that those things will lead people to see our good deeds and glorify God and come to saving faith in Christ. Yes, we are aliens in this world. We're born of another place. And hopefully we feel the draw of that other place. Hopefully we long for that world because we know that's where we belong. Yes, we're aliens, but we're alien residents called to serve Christ by obeying those in authority over us in this life and in this world as long as he leaves us here. May he be honored and glorified by the quiet, honorable, peaceable lives of submission that we live here in Athens. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, you've called us uh, to be subject to governing authorities, and that frequently means uh, we don't um, we don't always like what those in authority over us uh, say or do or believe or laws that they enact. We pray that you'd give us the grace um, to be subject to them, uh, but that you would also give us the grace uh, to to speak of the truth of your will and your word into this world. Father, we pray that, as, that we would live honorable, peaceable lives and that you would use that, that life to bring men and women and boys and girls to saving faith in Christ. We pray that we, in all that we do and say and think, we would do for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.